0: New episodes are added every weekday in the free Vision Christian Media app. If you don't already have the app on your smartphone or tablet, download it now from vision.org.au slash app. Vision.org.au slash app. Vision. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Jesus tells the parable that we read in Luke 20 about the owner and the tenants in the vineyard in response to their question of by whose authority do you do this? They knew Jesus was Messiah by their own teaching. Jesus ultimately says, I'm not going to answer your question because you know, and I'm not going to waste my time, but I will tell you a parable. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hello and welcome. This is Today with Jeff Vines. My name is Bill. It's good to have your company. Today, we're finishing a message called It's All His. It's part of a new series from Pastor Jeff. He's talking about going all in, all in with our hearts and minds and our relationship with Jesus. We started this message last time, so if you need to hear the first part, just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. Here's the rest of the message now with Pastor Jeff. i mean, in Luke chapter 20, verse nine. And he tells this parable. There's a vineyard and the owner of the vineyard is God. They would know that very clear because the Old Testament refers to Israel as the vineyard of God. The vineyard then is Israel, the people of God, Israel. The tenant farmers are the religious leaders of Israel. They've been entrusted by God himself to grow the vineyard, to nourish the vineyard and prepare them for Messiah and to accomplish his work in the vineyard for his purposes. And the tenant farmers, the religious leaders, were given a call by God to tend the vineyard by his word and for his profit. The servants of the owner, the ones who come to remind them, hey, this is ultimately God's vineyard, not yours. And we're showing up to collect the fruit of God are the prophets. And every time the prophets were sent to the people of Israel, not every time, but most often they kill the prophets or stone them because they didn't want to hear the word that this does not belong to you. God is the owner of every good and perfect thing. He's the owner of Israel. It's his world and everything that lies in it. And then the son or heir obviously is Jesus Christ who comes. And when he comes to remind them of ownership, they kill him. Now, that is the point of the parable Jesus tells So we learned that their fundamental mistake, the religious leaders' fundamental mistake, was they thought they were the owners of God's property. And when you're the owner, you govern by your word and for your own personal profit. So that the scribes and Pharisees actually began to believe that the people of Israel belonged to them. And they could do with God's people as they pleased to be governed by their word, to be used for their purposes in the advancement of their kingdom. Now, what is the result? What does God say will be the result of this? It's pretty harsh. I'm in chapter 20 again, John uh, or Luke, rather, verse 16. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them, but they were afraid of the people. Okay. The religious leaders understood. You've abused your responsibility. You do not own the people of God. You do not you're not the owners of the vineyard. God is, and in the vineyard, the people of God are to be used for his purposes, for his glory, and be governed by his word, not your own word. And now what I'm going to do is judge you and take the vineyard away and give it to somebody else. Now, here's the final part of the message. What does all this have to do with you and me then? What are we supposed to learn from all this? Well, first, you and I have been grafted into the vine. You and I are the church, the ekklesia, the called out ones who've been now placed in the vineyard. So while this has a first century contextual meaning, if we contextualize this into modern day, into our lives, we learn from scripture that the owner of the vineyard is still God, Genesis 1.1. the earth is uh, God. in In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He's the owner. Psalm twenty four one, I believe, says, "The earth is the Lord's and everything in it." The vineyard now is not Israel, although they're part of it, but now the church all God's people and all God's resources. For those of you who study theology, I'm not a proponent of replacement theology. I'm simply saying that as we contextualize this and try to find the meaning for our lives, the vineyard is the people of God and all of God's people and all of the resources of God. The tenant farmers, now we don't have one prophet. We have the priesthood of all believers. So our responsibility now as the farmers, we are the sowers and reapers by his word and for his profit. And the servants of the owner are the prophets and the preachers, the people who deliver the message and who come to tell you and remind you, remember, you're not the owner. The first fruits of all of our lives go to the owner. It's for his purposes ruled by his word. And the son or the heir is still Jesus Christ. So that the modern day message for you and me is this. We are under the illusion, and this is all of us, myself included. This is something we have to fight with all the time in our personal lives. We are under the illusion of independency and self-sufficiency, but our real condition, however, is dependency and contingency, but we refuse to believe it. Now, what does that mean? We think we're self-sufficient. We think we don't need God. We think we're the captain of our ship and we can do with our lives whatever we want, but our real condition, however, is we are totally dependent on God for his goodness and resources and our lives are contingent on what God wants to do with us at any season or point of our lives. That's hard to take. So what is the warning to us in this parable? We will have the temptation to live our lives as owners just like the religious leaders of Jesus' day rather than tenants. And here is how you know You're all in when it comes to the kingdom of God. You live like a tenant, not an owner. A tenant living like an owner says, I don't want to live by somebody else's rules. I don't want any boundaries in my life. And I want credit for any and all accomplishments. Sometimes when I see golfers, because I would consider myself an above average golfer, I may be living in an an illusion, but I consider myself an above, above average golfer. But when I meet a really good golfer, And when I watch the professionals golf, I look at them, it kind of depresses me at first until I remember, hold on a minute. He's able to do that, yes, because of practice, but I could practice every day, all day for the rest of my life and never be as good as those guys because it is a gift from God. Now, here's the point. That's true about every facet of our lives. Tenants give glory to God for all good things while an owner believes he is self-made and self-sufficient. But perhaps the most important distinction is this. That tenants living like tenants manage all that God has given by his word and for his profit. That right there is the key. The assumption, even in the first century, even in a pre capitalistic society, was that the tenants managed the vineyard on behalf of the owner and did so by his word and for his profit. In other words, by his word, you can't treat the vineyard any way that you want. You constantly acknowledge the owner's ownership, by operating under the owner's policies. All of this belongs to the owner. And he is leasing it to you and me. We get to use it and experience it, yes, but it ultimately belongs not to me and for my purposes, but to him and his purposes. So if you are a tenant, you can't say to the owner, if you own a vineyard or if you're tenting or leasing a vineyard, you can't say, you know what, I really like this vineyard. I think I'll turn it into a shopping mall or a sports arena, or maybe a shooting range or a potato farm. No, it's a vineyard to be used ultimately for the owner's purposes, not yours. And it must be managed by his word. Let me tell you what a tenant acting like an owner does. He or she thinks that he's the exception to the rule. He talks about extenuating circumstances. He's very good at rationalization He likes the feeling of ownership and authority. So he says to himself, or she says to herself, I will use this for my purposes under my word. And when I have been successful, I will return the profits to the owner. The problem is you never know when the owner is gonna return. You know, the Bible, and this is so important folks, please stay with me. You know, the Bible tells us that for every single one of us, there's a temptation. There's a temptation to think that we're the owner. And if you go back to the original parable, God sends messengers again and again and again. He's very patient, very gracious. First time, second time, third. Most of us would never do that. If we owned something and we sent someone around to collect the rent and they took us inside and beat us up, we wouldn't have a second or third chance. We would send the police, evict them and move on. But God is so patient because God knows our nature in our flesh. The Bible tells us you and I are loved, valued, significant in Christ, treasured, adored, the apple of God's eye. And we love to hear that and we should, and it's true. But there's something else the Bible tells us. It warns us that is paramount that we all have to deal with. The Bible says there's something so powerful that we repress. We don't want to admit something. And when someone points it out to us, like a pastor, we get angry. The Bible actually says that you and I Possess whether we're willing to admit it or not, a certain sense of contempt or animosity, even hatred toward God. In some ways, you and I are like the tenants in Jesus' story. We actually live and operate in a way that it's all about us. Whereas tenants who know that they're tenants manage their lives by his word and for his profit. The Bible tells us even our own body doesn't belong to us. 1 Corinthians 7, for the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. We are owned by God himself because he's the giver of all life. The earth is the Lord's, the people in it and everything in it. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul said, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Paul says, you don't get to determine how you even use your body. Not only your stuff, but your body. You're not the owner, Christ is. You manage your body by his word and for his profit so that you can be a light in the darkness, a city on the hill that cannot be hidden. And something inside us, the Bible says, something inside that says or hates that is frustrated because we want to be the owners. And the Bible reminds us again and again that everything in our possession, everything in the vineyard is ultimately for his profit. What does it mean for his profit? Well, the produce of the land of our lives ultimately is supposed to benefit the owner. It's about what he wants to achieve. It's about his agenda. It's about advancing his purposes in the vineyard. After all, he's the owner. So a tenant acting like a tenant joyfully uses his or her gifts to profit the owner and build his vineyard. And they do it with a glad heart. Now notice something crucial in the parable back in Luke chapter 20. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. This is just amazing. Remember this series is about being all in. It's about understanding the purpose of your life. Don't you find it amazing that although the owner owns the entire vineyard and everything, all the produce belongs to him, He doesn't come back and ask for everything. He simply asks for some of the fruits. That's why I tell you that this idea of first fruits is not merely a Mosaic law or some kind of tax on the nation of Israel. This first fruits idea starts in Genesis and go all the way through the book of Revelation. It's a sweet deal if you think about it. What God is saying is, yeah, this is my vineyard. I own it. You're my servants and you get to experience and use all of these good things in this world that I've created and in your life for your pleasure. As long as you understand that I'm the owner and ultimately you govern these things by my word, including your body and everything that you have and for my profit. It started all the way back with Cain and Abel and even gleaning in the Old Testament was a practice that we discover in the life of, in the story of Ruth and Naomi, that the Israelites could, could grow their crops, but they were to leave the outer edges and not harvest that so that the people who were less fortunate could come and harvest that and be able to survive. In other words, that was the purpose of God, to feed those who were less fortunate. The New Testament goes beyond law of the first fruit into grace. And in 2 Corinthians 9, we read, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. So what does it come down to then? Because when Paul writes this, he's assuming that the people of God who live under grace now, not law, have as their primary passion, to reap a great harvest for the owner of the vineyard. That's their passion. So he says, if that's what your real passion is, sow, sow generously into the kingdom, so you will reap a great harvest. And this is why I started this series by asking you that simple question last week that if I followed you around for two weeks, what would I discover through your conversations and your actions and how you spend your money and how you spend your time? What would I discover what your life is ultimately about? What drives you? What is your purpose? What gives you meaning? What causes your heart to beat a little faster? What are you most passionate about? It all comes down to that question again, what is your life ultimately about? And the lessons we're supposed to learn from this parable that Jesus tells is that the posture of our life Yes, we work, we play, we raise a family, we pursue our dreams, we live our lives, but the entire vineyard is ours to use, but not ours to own. And when you see this in a life, it's glorious. It's beautiful. When you see men and women who've been transformed, who suddenly got it, that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. And they realize that they are not owners, they're just simply tenants and they're gonna be held responsible for the way that they've invested the gifts that God has given them, whether they've done it for their kingdom or for a kingdom beyond themselves. When they get that, it changes everything. The Bible goes to great lengths to tell you and me that there's gonna be a temptation in our lives. In Romans 8, we're said, where we read because the carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God, nor can it be. Basically, that word means anger or enemy. There is a part of us that resents the fact that we're not the owners. And the temptation will be that we will live as though we are. And we will not operate our lives by his word and for his profit. And the Bible goes to tell you that when you have a a legitimate Jesus revelation and the Spirit of God comes on the inside to live, suddenly that illusion of independency and self-sufficiency is destroyed and you realize that your real condition is dependency and contingency and everything is dependent upon God. And when you realize that, you shift, there is a change. Your heart is melted because of the grace of God and the goodness of God. And suddenly you continue to live your life. Yes, you do the things required to live on this planet, but your ultimate goal is to live your life and use your resources according to the word of God and for his profit. Now, let's finish this. Is it not true that even though You and I live with the illusion that we're somehow in charge and we're the owners and that we have repressed, which means down deep inside in a subconscious level, we know it, but we push it down. We know that nothing we build, our kingdom will not last. I've mentioned many times that I am so happy at this point in my life that I am no longer afraid of death, but that does not mean that the death cloud does not hang over me anymore. It's still there. And we know that life is temporary. We're just not afraid of it anymore. But since we know that it's true, since my life has not turned out the way that I planned and, simp- and quite frankly, seldom does it turn out the way that you planned. Some people will say, since my life has not turned out the way that I planned, there must be no owner. It must be a crapshoot. It's all luck of the draw. But that's Illogical. Because the fact that our lives do not turn out the way we think they should, does that not prove the opposite? That means we're not the owners and we can't dictate it and we can't mandate it that there must be an owner on the outside. Life, despite what self-help books will tell you, will not let you control it. You can read 10 Steps to Success, Your Best Life Now, whatever the formula, but it's only a matter of time before the illusion is shattered. Go ahead, set your agenda, make your plans, plan your life out, but in one instance, everything could change. Life will never let you believe for very long that you're the owner. No matter how hard you try to control it, like an eight-year-old driving a car, you can't see what's coming. Now, if, if life will never allow you to believe that you're the owner, the most obvious explanation is that you're not the owner, that somebody else is. And the message of the parable is that don't live like an owner, but posture your life so that you can sow your resources into eternity, God's kingdom, rather than your own kingdom. Now, I said we were near the end. The problem is nobody can force you to do this. This is a byproduct of true conversion. Somebody who postures their life this way and lives this way, it's a natural result of, con- of conversion. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. His passions become my passions. We say that he not only changes what you do, but changes what you want to do. Something has to happen on the inside. And I find it extremely interesting that this is how Jesus ends this parable. I'm in Luke 20. Let's read what he says at the end of this in verse 17 and 18. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. Do you see what Jesus is saying? There is no middle ground. You either build your life on the stone or you'll be crushed by the stone. You either build your life on the stone, the cornerstone, or you will be crushed by it. In other words, you fall on the stone in humility. You allow Jesus to crush this enmity that we all have where we're upset because we want to be in charge. We want to be the owners. You allow him to come into your life and break that, to open your eyes towards spiritual reality, to see how much he loves you and what he's been willing to do for you and how much he's given to you by securing your eternity (laughs) in heaven with him so that your heart will be melted and you will be broken and you will realize you're not the owner, you're the tenant. And everything in your life is to be governed by his word and for his profit. Either you do that, but then we're given a stark warning or you will be crushed by the stone. In other words, if you remain his enemy till the end, if you beat up those who come and warn you, if you are determined to be the captain of your ship and live your life the way you want to live your life for your and by your word and for your profit, then you'll be crushed. You'll be crushed by the stone. Am I trying to scare you? Yes. How else do you deal with someone in denial? But listen, in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, we're told that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, you think about that for a moment. If Jesus was willing to be treated like an enemy for us, how can it be dangerous to give control of our lives over to him? He can't. And notice again, the mercy and grace of Jesus. He keeps sending messengers, three separate occasions. You and I would send one messenger and be done with it. But he sends messenger after messenger into our life to remind us, you're not the owner, you're the tenant. Start living like one. And the beauty of it is, is anytime he gives us a command, it's based on his knowledge of design. So the best way to live where our soul feels alive And where we do away with this overarching cloud of death and depression and anxiety, the best way to do it is to live our lives as tenants for a purpose greater than ourselves to change the trajectory of our lives. And I'm praying through this sermon, you'll have the courage to make the change. Father, thank you for the truth of your word Thank you for what it says, what it speaks to us. And I pray in Christ's name that for those who've heard this message, they would be willing to honestly ask the question, whose kingdom am I building? Do I live as an owner or as a tenant? Am I living my life and governing my resources and my own body itself by his word and for his profit? And if I'm not, that I would hear the warning and I will allow the cornerstone to fall on me and humble me and open my eyes to this reality. And I will not be crushed by being and living as an enemy to God for the rest of my life. In Christ's name I pray this prayer for courage. Amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me want to dance and sing with every single breath I'm free I will bring this up. You are my wonder you make the wonder. Today, 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 today with Jeff Vines.